0: So if the recent attention he's received from NPR and the Wall Street Journal is any indication, our guest on the very first episode of Hashtag Guinning is conducting some of the country's best research into the structural integrity of low-rise buildings during hurricanes and tornadoes, like the devastating F4 that recently touched down just eight miles from his office in the Samuel Gann College of Engineering. So we're very excited to have Auburn University Assistant Civil Engineering Professor David Roosh with us. And we're very excited for you to hear the very best podcast intro in all of higher education.
1: I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. It it (laughs) looks something
2: like this. 1.21 gigawatts. What the hell is a (laughs) gigawatt?
1: You're listening to the Hashtag Getting Podcast, brought to you by Auburn University's Samuel Ginn College of Engineering.
0: Yes, we are here for the first episode of Hashtag Getting Podcast. Very excited to have David Roosh, assistant professor with the college civil, civil engineering, correct? Civil, yes. Civil and structural. Structural. Structural thing. I'm Jeremy Henderson. I'm a communication specialist in the uh, College of Engineering's Communications and Marketing Department, joined by my co-host, Austin Phillips, the assistant director of the Communications and Marketing Department. Uh, We're being produced by Marcus Klutz, who does something of course <laughs> how exciting <laughs> this is this ki- the, with this kind of thing the first one ever i know i know and david thanks you thanks for being here this is a it's an honor i know it's an honor for you obviously yeah, to <laughs> be here for. yeah honor honor to be here as i joked with you i don't know how many people had to decline you to get here but uh, i'm happy happy to be here just a couple dozen but <laughs> we got you here so in the intro we talked about um you know some of the stuff that you do obviously in terms of wind load and uh with hurricanes and tornadoes and researching all this stuff uh, what exactly got you interested, uh, in this, in this specific aspect of civil and, and structural, uh, engineering? Did you just, was it, you had to throw a dart at something? Is there some great origin lost, story? Lost a bet somewhere. I mean, yeah. I mean, what, way. what, so what was it? Was it something, is there a personal story? Or just, I don't know. What it's a, you
2: interested? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of factors. Um, one, it started with growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, yeah every year you you paid attention to hurricane season you knew you know you were tracking things as they were coming across the water or across the Atlantic or forming in the the Caribbean and so you're it was always, always there you're always aware of it um, and then part of my early childhood as well is actually I grew up in a mobile you know manufactured home and so I you know definitely remember those times we're following a hurricane as it's coming and strengthening and we're trying to decide okay where are we gonna go you because know, we're not staying here. So are we going to go to the grandparents' house? Or are we going to go to a local church? Or are we, you know, where are we going to shelter? Um, so that was a big part of it, and just being aware of weather impacts on buildings, um, seeing some of the effects. I mean, I've always loved storms. I mean, we, you know, being kids, we didn't know any better. So we were excited when something like that was coming through because we didn't have school. And we'd go outside and, you know, just and play. And um, so that was always it just kind of was there and was just a part of my life growing up. But then it kind of moved into engineering because I started doing contracting work with a, a general contractor and working on, you know, remodeling buildings and, and some, some basic construction So that introduced me to that. And then, um, as I kind of got into school and started doing just general engineering, um, what really kind of drove me into, you know, doing a PhD in research and research and that was as a um, literally, I started doing some research at the University of Florida with uh, Dr. David Pravat, who's a well-known um, uh, engineer in this research field. And he, you know, there was the the day after my undergraduate graduation. You know, there are from the University of Florida, and we the Tuscalo- Tuscaloosa tornado had just happened. Um, I think it was maybe a, a day or two before uh, my graduation, and he was putting together a team to go out and investigate the damage. It was. And um, he just strongly encouraged me to go. I knew nothing about tornadoes. You know, I knew a little bit about hurricanes, but not really anything about tornadoes. And he kind of pushed me to go. And, you know, so the day after my graduation, we packed up, drove 15 hours to Tuscaloosa, and then just, boom, it was there. Um, and I still remember, you know, quite vividly, you know, a lot of the scenes that I saw there that first day and those first few days and just the uh, destruction everywhere. Um, and I think that's what really kind of ignited the the interest, the passion, you know, in this type of research and realizing how much we don't know, um, how much we can improve things and, and save lives, and um, it's just it's just taking off
1: and continues from there. Uh, David, uh, March third, two thousand nineteen, it's going to be a day that lives in infamy for the citizens of Lee County. Um, that tornado is a mile, almost a mile wide, right. was on yeah. the ground for nearly thirty miles, um, took the lives of twenty three people, hurt nearly a hundred. Um, and that's more than all of last year. Right. Um, like you talked about preparing for a hurricane, you know, this day and age, we have a little bit of advance notice when the conditions are primed for tornadic activity. When, when you hear something like that, um, when you hear, see on the news, one's on the ground, what do you do? What do you, how do you start preparing, knowing that you're going to deploy? What, what goes through your mind? what, what T- take me through the process of of what you do when you know that that's coming, or you see that it's on the ground and you're going to deploy.
2: Yeah. Well, so as a researcher or as a homeowner who's at home and seeing something on the ground
1: that, of of a researcher, a researcher. Of, you're you're going to go inspect and deploy to this area to to really see what has yeah, happened. Yeah.
2: Well, it really starts. You know, I daily monitor the the Storm Prediction Center puts out these convective outlooks, and they go up to about a week in advance. Um, and, you know, we have made some tremendous advancements, or I say we, I've not been a part of that, but the, this, the scientific community has made some tremendous advancements in being able to predict, you know, the weather patterns that are conducive for tornadoes to form. And so as those, you know, initial, um, you know, forecasts and, and, and so on start to become the, the confidence in them starts to increase. I just get to on, on high alert, you know, that there's going to be events that are likely to take place. Um, and then it's just a matter of of where is it going to be in some rural setting somewhere? Is it going to are there any large you know urban centers within that area as well? Um, and it's you know and as an engineer though it's really kind of a wait sit back and wait and see. I mean I try to do some messaging on on Twitter or promote you know the the you know the state EMA you know tweets and so on or about the the risk. But as an engineer it's really just Following along and trying to keep track of what's going, you know the tornado warnings that are out. What's on the ground, um, and then you know I typically rely on a lot on social media to get kind of initial feedback on. Okay, there's a tornado here. There's debris. There's damage mentioned here, and it's just uh starting to try to compile and aggregate information as as it comes in.
0: When did you know that this one was going to be bad? It was. Guess, for me, it was the, it was the, the meteorologists when they kind of start, you know, they, they got quiet for a little bit. Yes. And they started looking at it, and then the Tuscaloosa comparison started coming out. Like, I hadn't seen something like this in this long. So, for you, I mean, is there?
2: So, what, what really kind of initiated it for me is I use a, you know, there's a lot I use a, an app on my phone that has some high-resolution radar, and I'm able to track things like the velocity couplets and, and all that you're probably familiar with. And from those, you're able to see that there's rotation. But it's hard to tell many times. Okay, is that rotation actually extending down to the surface level, and how strong is it? Is it impacting structures? But one of the things that that you start to see if there's a lot of damage is is you can actually see it in the radar the debris that's being lofted up into the atmosphere. Um, and as that storm started to go through, you know, the Beauregard area, you started seeing debris, a large debris field, twenty thousand feet in the air, and that's when you know. It's impacted a lot of structures, a lot of you know tr- whether it be trees, buildings, other things. It's impacting a lot of um, uh, things here on the uh, a lot of the built environment, and it's destroying it. Um, and so that's when it really kicked off for me that okay, this is going to be this is a, a dangerous one
1: and a damaging one. From, from there, take us take us through there to to you deploying you you going there. What what are some of the some of the things you saw, some of the things you smelled, some of the things you heard, yeah uh that that stick with you, yeah, well, it was it was
2: you know th- as a day like that, as it kind of unwinds this is a really unique situation because one one, we actually had some some friends of ours that were at the house that were planning on driving right down two eighty as this storm was coming through, um they were dropping some stuff off at our house, and they were about to take off, and so you know, as I'm tracking this, you know, we're like, okay. Now it's not a good time to leave, you know, especially heading down to eighty you know, and seeing where the path of that was, so we kind of you know, and it was close enough to where I lived that we you know just kind of stayed there for a little while, and then I was you know once I was clear that tornado had passed, I was you know starting to kind of at we just get into my personal vehicle, go out do kind of a scouting assessment and um and then next thing you know, there's another tornado coming right behind it, and so you know I had to just sit back for a little bit while for a little while longer. Um, and then once that one ultimately passed through, um, I did go out for um, a little bit. So it was myself, um, Dr. Robbie Barnes as well was out and did an initial assessment, and then Dr. Justin Marshall. Um, all of us in, in civil engineering had been out, you know, at different parts of the path. But the initial, initially, I wasn't able to make it over into kind of the heaviest where so many of the fatalities occurred. I was more um, west of there, and so I did see some heavy damage. Um, you know, you see you just start seeing the trunks of trees snapped um, start seeing debris from who knows where you know wafted up into the trees and um, that was about the extent I could tell that it was serious but by that time it was starting to get dark and then they had already started to close off areas that you know they had known fatalities and so I didn't really get access into the heaviest damage until a few days later
0: well, I know so NPR I know recently yeah. reached out to you and I think because of kind of like some of the the tweets you were sending out the threads about the assessment and stuff that was going on and uh and you all talked uh, I guess it was maybe a week or so ago or a few days ago uh for a few minutes just about the things that can be done specific to mobile homes trailers the you know obviously because that was uh, I guess predominantly I'm I'm already thinking that was pre- most of the damage majority yeah, Majority the, of the damage majority
2: of the then and that was in part because of, you know, the
0: main mobile
2: manufactured homes are more more vulnerable, particularly in these in these rural areas. But a big part of it is just that's that's the the majority of the housing in this that area there, right. is it manufactured homes. So what
0: um, can what what can be done to? Because you, you're thinking a tornado was 170, mm-hmm. yeah, 170 miles an hour coming down. It's kind of like, well, we can only do so much. One would think. Uh, I mean, especially with a, a mobile home or something. But I mean, are there ways to what what can be done to at least reduce some of the damage, some of the fatalities, the tr- the tragedy? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess just to, to put some perspective on it,
2: uh, you know, and this kind of goes back to my initial impressions when I did get to make it out there is, you know, it, it does it can be overwhelming at first when you go out there and just seem like just make you want to throw your hands up, and be like you know we can't do anything. This is it's an act of God that is just beyond our power to resist. You know, when you're seeing. As, you know, looking at before images of this double-wide trailer, and then the entire thing is wrapped around a tree, or um, seeing an area where there used to be a a site-built home, so one that was you know not a mobile or manufactured home, one that was built on site, and it's just gone. And you know, then that the tendency is to say it's it's hopeless. You what know, can you do? Really, we can't do anything about it. But as you you know, when you start applying kind of the engineering principles to it and start forensically looking at it, it it comes down to understanding what the goal is okay and the, the goal is not in a tornado like this with 170 miles an hour the goal is not to prevent any damage from occurring it's just that's not practical it's not going to happen um, especially in in areas that need you know affordable housing um, but what i do see that we can do is anchoring structures to the ground better than what we're doing right now or what a lot of these existing buildings are. I think where the, a lot of these fatalities and the injuries come from and this comes from speaking from both you know investigating actually where the fatalities occurred as well as talking with numerous survivors. Um it a lot of those fatalities and injuries came when the entire home gets lofted when it's actually flying through the air. That's when that's when when things start to go bad very quickly um and so having that in mind as far as okay what can we do to keep the structure on the ground um there's a couple of things that that really that really stood out and one was that as we were looking through and looking at both the debris and then also looking at adjacent structures that maybe were far enough outside of the path that they weren't completely destroyed i mean the anchorage is Lacking for for lack of a better word. I mean, it is it's in most cases, the um, there may be no anchorage at all. The these homes are literally just sitting on blocks. You know, I mean, we like to say in terms of a, a wind load path for for wind engineering. Think about you've got a building, you want to be able to flip that building upside down and have it still stay together. Um, And these, you would flip it upside down and it would just immediately fall apart because there's no attachment to, there is really no foundation. It's just sitting on unreinforced masonry blocks. Is that a code violation? I mean, what's going on? So it's a a mixture. So some of it is for the site-built homes, I mean, most of the site-built homes that had fatalities or injuries, um, I think the newest one we saw was a 1978 or 1968 home um so that's built before you know really the building codes were in place and enforced and so on um for the for some of the modern you know just to give kind of a counterpoint you know there were several uh there's a couple of you know post-2000 homes that were directly in the path some just across the street you know an upwind of the path of the the some manufactured homes completely destroyed had fatalities and was the roof gone of the site built home yes but the walls were, most of the walls were still standing. It was still attached to the ground. If somebody was sheltering in it, they would have been okay. Um, you know, that that happened as well in a, there was an older structure, site-built home around where, again, multiple fatalities had occurred around it, and yet people were able to survive in that home, not because it didn't have any damage, but because even with the damage, it was able to stay attached to the foundation uh, for the most part and have, you know, some walls up to be able to protect occupants. Um, so to, you know, you can clearly see a kind of a difference in the, in the site built homes for the, the manufactured homes. we still have a lot of questions about that because there were codes put in place. Um, 1976, the HUD housing and urban development, you know, releases regulations for manufactured homes that required Anchorage. And yet you know, in Alabama, enforced it in 1994 and did some additional things with it, and yet we're still seeing so many of these manufactured homes in these rural areas that have no anchors, um, anchors improperly installed. Um, or there were a few that they were installed more or less correctly, and yet—and then you had rust and corrosion so much in the strap that you could just break it apart with your fingers. Um, so it's it's really a, a combination of issues here um, that we've got to find some solutions for for— being able to keep these structures not again not tornado proof but keep them on the ground
1: well and I know I saw uh James Spann meteorologist out of Birmingham. I had tweeted out a picture of limbs you know it was about five or six limbs shrapnel that were just pierced through the side of one of these mobile homes too yeah so uh,
2: yeah and that's that's the other issue with it is that you know and i I understand. They're affordable housing. I grew up in one, you know, and that it met a need for our family and they meet a need for a lot of families. But we've got to figure out how we can, you know, there are people that unfortunately don't have a shelter they can get to and with the lead time that they have, that for whatever reason, they end up having to shelter in these. And we've got to figure out how to reduce the odds of fatality, you know, increase the, the survivability of these of these homes. And when you look at them, you know, many times, yes, the, the wall you were just talking about, the debris, I mean, the walls are... You have very, very thin material, and it's just so easy for debris to just punch right through it. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it's a
1: combination of factors there. Um, the college recently announced that um, we're building a $22 million advanced structural testing laboratory. Um, how is this facility, this state-of-the-art facility, how is that going to, to help the work that you're doing? What what kind of research are we going to be able to do in this facility? What kind of capabilities are we going to have that's going to be able to help you help citizens like the ones in Lee County um, to have better structures that can help prevent injuries uh, or even death during yeah. storms like these?
2: No, I'm super excited about the um, the new lab coming, and um, and it's going to really enhance our, our ability to, to address some of these issues. For example, this is one I was just thinking of while I was out um, in the field looking at these. As far as I know, there's not really any other labs that will have the capability of having that or that has the the geotechnical chamber within the the strong floor, within the, um, the reach of the actuators and the pressure loading actuators that I will be developing. So we talked about anchorage. Okay, we can install these mobile home anchors, manufactured home anchors into the ground of the geotechnical, be able to install instrumentation to measure the stresses and so on within the soil. And also apply dynamic, you know, wind load time histories to those anchors and the straps and test the full system. Um, that's, as far as I know, has never been done before. Um, so, you know, we can look at all sorts of things like, you know, being able to, to address energy dissipation and the, um, some, some new innovations
1: to be able to apply here to hopefully make, make buildings safer. How does this facility change the game for our students? I mean, you went to, like you said, Florida, which is a phenomenal engineering uh, program. Uh, how, where does this, where does this facility put us on on the map in terms of structural testing uh, laboratories? Oh, I think it's going to put us right there with the
2: right there with the best of them. Um, you think about the the large. Testing you know the um, schools out there, the experimental testing schools, you know Texas and kansas and and Florida and so on, and this puts us right up there with them and gives us like I've said some true unique capabilities that some of those others don't um, that are going to allow us to to address and, and be able to do some research that other people haven't done yet and has national importance and you know that exposes our our lab, our research, and therefore our students. On this national stage, and I think it's going to be a tremendous benefit to them.
0: How old are you, David? Thirty-one. Thirty-one. So when the movie Twister came out, you were. <laughs> let's see, what is that? How old were you? Do you remember? Did you did you see it in the theater? I uh, no. Have you ever seen? Did it? Not see it
2: in the theater. I've seen I've seen most of it. I have not actually. And and the weather community would just be all over me for that. But I, I have mean. never actually sat down and watched the entire thing. Really, you
1: are missing a classic.
2: No. I've I've seen I feel like I've seen it discussed and I've seen so many parts of it, but um, no, I've never actually sat down and watched the entire thing. I'm I'm
0: shocked. I, you you would think that. One, I was wondering what folks in the field thought about. It. I mean, is this kind Jer- of like some cult classic? In. In the-
2: oh yes, it is a it is a especially more so I would say in the meteorological community, right, right, the weather right. community. It is. I mean, they on Twitter, you know, since I use so much that to interact with so many of the meteorologists, and they'll have a, you know, somebody will just they'll let everybody know hey twister is on tv and they'll have like a twister watch party over over twitter you know it's um it's it's quite quite fascinating so i guess
1: you know if i'm i guess i got to turn in my tornado research card since i've never i think jeremy was hoping that that was the inspiration that, <laughs> that put you on the path <laughs> that, really that you are well on yeah yeah uh, we, know. we, we no. may
0: we may need somebody else
1: well, I know you, would, speaking of Twister, and it, it, some of the things that it shows of just the craziness, and uh, in 98, I, where I lived was right outside of uh, Hueytown and Oak Grove when okay. uh, F5 came through, 266 mile-per-hour winds, and the the things you see, we lived in a one-level uh, brick house, yeah. but, you know, we went to the backyard, and pine needles, I mean, the back of the brick looked like a porcupine where pine needles were stuck, and just seeing that damage and what it can do, um, it sticks with you, and uh, I really admire the work that you're doing because the work that we're doing here, the work that you're doing when you go out to Wetumpka, whether you're going to Hurricane, uh, it's going to save lives um, yeah. down down the road, and uh, what better place to do it than than here at Auburn? Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a fantastic, you know, I, mean, I
2: love the opportunity that I have here to truly make a, a difference. You know, I mean, thinking about the fact that the research that we're doing could literally – keep a family together one day I mean that's it doesn't get any better than that um and so having the opportunity to do it here again Auburn is is perfectly placed you know in this sort of research to be able to be you know directly involved in hurricanes you know that are happening right here in the gulf that impact our state as well as right here in kind of Dixie Tornado Alley um you know it's it's just so it's strategically placed to be involved in this research and so I'm just thrilled to be a part of that here GIF or JIF?
0: I've Answer. always called it JIF. see? <laughs> Get out. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Florida, huh? You went to Florida? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that That's what they're sense. teaching okay. them down there. Thanks so much for being with us, David. Yep. Seriously. Really appreciate it. Thank y'all for having me on. It was a pleasure. War Eagle. War Eagle.